Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Slaughter Podcast. We'll be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. I am speaking loud. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. Um, welcome to another episode of the Slaughter Podcast. Yeah, Slaughter True Crime Podcast. You know, I was thinking about this when we were answering questions for our Patreon the other day. One of the questions was, what is the name of your podcast? And I stopped for a minute and thought, yeah. I'm not sure on the definitive answer to that. <laughs> slaughter the True Crime Podcast? Or is it just Slaughter? The Slaughter. Or is it just Slaughter Podcast? Fuck knows. Anyway, this is us and <laughs> we're here. Apple Podcast for the, the true answer. I'm going to tell you the story of Charles Peace. So get ready for lots of pieces <laughs> that you might have to edit out. Um, so this is a Victorian crime and one of the most sensational Victorian stories. They made it into a film in 1949, um, which is brilliant. It's absolutely fantastic. Have you actually seen the film? Yeah. No way. Because it's set in Sheffield. And so they've got all of these really, who would be, originally quite plummy mid-atlantic accented actors putting on a sh- what they think is a sheffield accent <laughs> in the gallery in the gallery of this court case they're like oh it's a bit cold in here love <laughs> it's dead good born on the 14th of may in 1832 in sheffield was charles peace um, his father made shoes for a living and charles wasn't particularly academic but he definitely had some of the creative flair he would make little paper models and things he was also quite musical um but when he was he left school quite young he went as an apprentice in a mill and while he was working there he had several accidents now victorian mills were death traps for children yeah absolutely um and so he was left with a limp following one incident and he had a fractured jaw after another and these would affect him for the rest of his life so later the police would describe his limp. Um, they said that he, quote, walks with his legs wide apart. This doesn't sound great. And then the injury to his jaw meant that he was able to sort of dislocate it and manipulate it so we could like pull out the bottom half of his face. It's weird how they had, like we've got a, a big population now. We've got too many people. And they had pro- less than half the amount of people that we've got. And they just didn't give a shit about them. <laughs> Is that true, that less than half the population? I'm pretty sure think? it was... Wow. And they were just killing them all off, weren't they? Yeah, just sticking babies up chimneys and under machines. Yeah. Ooh. Like nobody's business. Charles Peace was quite... 
unattractive. So when he was at resting face, his jaw sort of like flopped forwards. Uh, um, what do you call that? Like resting bitch face, but like... Resting flop resting face. Resting melt face. Like he would have been really good at those gurning competitions, you know, when people <laughs> put their head in a... When they put it in one it's of those... There's a look, isn't there? Like a gurning look. Yeah. Like when people are taking their false teeth out. Yeah. But all the time. And um, it also that affected his speech, which the police um, described uh, as though his tongue was too large for his mouth. So definitely. I mean, some women are into that. Definitely, a lot of women were into him. Surprisingly, <laughs> really, yeah. He'd also lost two fingers on his left hand. He was quite awful to look at. Maybe it's the big tongue and the missing fingers. He was five foot four. He was quite petite, little. He definitely he looked older than he was because of his hard life. Um, but he was having some banging affairs. <laughs> he must have. I mean, I was going to say great at finger banging, but yeah. <laughs> that's a different tone. As you'll notice, there's no third digit to get in the way. <laughs> just... Says with his massive tongue. <laughs> Maybe that's what did it. Maybe it's the massive tongue. Um, but I think perhaps because he had these accidents that really scarred him for life in the mill, he decided possibly that working is for mugs. And he got into stealing and burglary for a living. So he did have other skills. He could play the violin really well. And he did perform in local music halls and doing concerts. But stealing is just too easy. <laughs> it's great. However, um, being good at stealing was not quite so easy for him. And Charles Peace would end up being in and out of prison most of his life. Like he would go in for years at a time, four years, six years, seven years, and be in and out. So a, a lot of this is broken up with, oh, he was in prison for quite a while. Um, in 1859, so he was only aged 27, he married a lady named Hannah Ward. Now she already had a son called Willie. And they eventually settled in Darnall in 1872, which is Sheffield area, where then when he's got this nice family together, Charles Peace tried to find a more legitimate lifestyle. And he worked as a picture framer, a gilder, and he sort of sold bric-a-brac and things. But then after three years of this settled normal life, his true nature got the better of him and he became obsessed with the wife of one of his customers called Mrs. Dyson, Catherine Dyson. Mr. and Mrs. Dyson were their neighbours next door but one. So they knew them a little bit. They Very easy to stalk a neighbour next door from one. Yeah, he's all about ease. Like, <laughs> if you're going to be obsessed with someone, have them nearby. So Mr. and Mrs. Dyson, they'd met and married in Ohio in 1866, which I don't know much about them, but I just think already they must be amazing people. Going on a long haul flight to America fills me with dread. And they travelled... From she was Irish, they'd gone to America, lived there, meet a husband, travel back. What well, that takes weeks to do in Victorian times to be just going to and from America. Yeah, it's like half half their waking life has probably been on a boat. And traveling. what was Ohio like in eighteen sixty six? I don't know, but I imagine we wouldn't want to visit. So they must have been quite adventurous. They were hardy people, I think. So, um, which they were actually, they said, they described Mrs. Dyson as being buxom and tall, which Ooh. I think means she was like <laughs> strung as. I'm imagining some sort of, I don't know. Broad shoulders. Yeah. Hands that can grab a melon <laughs> in one. <laughs> um, so they met and married in America. They did move to Sheffield together. 
Um, it's said that Mrs. Dyson was known to love a little drink um, and that the pair often argued. They did initially, they'd taken some pictures to be framed by Charles Peace and then he sort of just became determined that he was going to woo her. He would say things like, once I've made up my mind to get something, I'm going to get it. Creepy. But she sort of seemed to quite enjoy the attention that she was getting from him. And so they started going out for drinks. They'd go to shows together. They were had their photograph taken at a fair. But they did also get quite steamy. So as I said, they were next door but one. And the house that was in between them was empty for a period of time. So they would use this house to go and have half of the sex. Convenient. Exactly. So though the full extent of the affair wasn't known by Mr. Dyson... Charles Pease would push his luck as the friendly neighbour and he would call round at the house all the time just to come hang out and chat with them. But eventually this was too much for Mr. Dyson. He was like, you're clearly overstepping the mark. Where, like, It said in uh, the book was Secrets of the Black Museum, More Secrets by Gordon Honeycomb. And he says in the book that he would even call round at mealtimes. <laughs> which... Is just unacceptable. No, that is a weird time to call around. It is. I remember when I was in maybe year two or something, about seven years old, I had to write something for school. And I wrote about um, my mum gets really annoyed when my grandma and granddad phone up because they always do it at dinner time. <laughs> and it was a big thing in my house that, oh, guess who's on the phone? It's going to be a bloody grandma because we're just sitting down to eat. How dare they? They know we eat dinner at this time and yet they always ring. That's sort of gone now with mobile phones, hasn't it? Because people will just phone any time, but you can just ignore it. Whereas a house phone, God forbid. And even just mealtimes being time we'd all... Because it was like you all sit sat down around the table. Whereas now, like, one of us would probably have eaten before everyone else. And then, mm. like, you're sat... It didn't, wasn't a big deal. But so, especially in this time it was a big deal and mr dyson had had quite enough of it how dare he call around at meal times then he said he was banned from the home so charles peace then they and his wife mrs dyson they started passing notes from each other just to say oh he's gonna be out later and then mr dyson's still sort of aware of these visits even though they'd try and organize it when he was out so he did the harshest thing that a victorian gentleman could think of doing and he took a calling card that you would obviously when you go to visit someone they're out fuck what can you do so you just leave the card with your name on and your address so they can be like oh yeah they came to visit so we got his calling card and he wrote on it charles peace is requested not to interfere with my family and then just chucked it into his garden <laughs> done gauntlet is down that's it <laughs> requested um and as daft as that sounds it really really pissed off charles peace he was like how dare you formally <laughs> write this down um so then he began to harass the dysons he would creep up on them and he would just like go and stand at their window Ew. and stare in is she is she still into this or is yes she... oh. that's what's weird He's ugly, like got all these deformities from his accidents. And now he's just creeping in and staring at their windows. Yeah. And she still wants to meet up with him. Yeah, because um, if anything is going to put you off, it's like that. Like the, What's, the, no, what's more the creepy than a face at the window? Exactly. Nothing. It's horrid. He must have been a good lover. Must have <laughs> Just those three fingers left. <laughs> so as I said, he was five foot four. And then... 
on the 1st of July, 1876, he assaulted the six foot five Mr. Dyson in his typical creepy way in that he snuck up on him and tripped him up in the street. Well, he couldn't like punch him in the face. There'd be no way he'd get, so he'd just be like, I'll trip him. Um, And then just sort passive aggressive fight. And scuttled away. (laughs) That's it. He just tripped him and then scuttled off. So that night, Mrs. Dyson, she was out in the yard telling some of her friends about what had happened when Peace, um, he showed up and sort of, are you talking about me? What are you saying? So Mrs. Dyson held her ground and repeated the conversation. Yeah, we were talking about you, about how you tripped my husband up. And to which Peace then took out a gun and threatened to blow her brains out. Jesus Christ. It really escalated. Yeah. Yeah, you were thinking, oh, isn't this a cute little story? (laughs) Tripping and cards. No, he's got a gun now. So the Dysons contacted the police. And so Peace uh, took his family and they fled Sheffield. And the Dysons decided after a while, the best thing is probably for us to move as well. So that if he comes back, he won't know where we are and it'll be over so they just moved from one side of Sheffield to the other but when they so they'd sent on their luggage and then as they approached their new home the front door was opened and out of it walked Charles Peace Fuck. and he basically said that he didn't care about the police he didn't care about the warrant he was going to annoy them wherever they went so and just, he'd like moved in next door again no he just found where they were moving oh, and God. visited it that's the weird, like, psychological tricks that stalkers do, though, isn't it? Just yeah. that, I'm not going to do anything. I just want you to know that I know where you live. I just want you to know that I've been in your new house. Like, like he needs oh. to, like, he is not doing much work. Oh, really not? Like, he's just... So he just casually strolled off then and was like, see you later. And then didn't do anything for weeks. So it is just, it's just the sort of stuff that makes you go crazy. Yeah. He's like, we should have heard from him by now. Why hasn't he tried to do anything? He must have done something and we don't know what it is yet. Um, like checking the windows every time. Yeah, definitely. And so it's about a month later. It was the 29th of November, 1876, that Peace came to see the Dysons again. So he didn't go straight up. He stood outside on their street. I know it's said at trial that this is perhaps because him and Kate Dyson had hooked up at a hotel the night before, maybe rekindled something. And then he'd gone and stood on the street. And he was there for about an hour and he kept accosting passers-by and asking them to send a note to mrs dyson or to have a slag off mr dyson and it was getting very weird so then at around eight o'clock at night mrs dyson she went outside into their backyard to use the toilet and when she opened the privy door after she'd finished she was faced again charles peace holding a gun So she just screamed and slammed the door in his face, locked it. And then that alerted Mr. Dyson. So he ran out of his house and chased Peace onto the street. Now, according to Charles Peace, they began to fight. So he fired the gun to scare off Mr. Dyson. However, he he fired about four or so. But then one of his shots went into Dyson's forehead. Oh, my God who fell on his back with the bullet wedged in his brain. Peace just ran off into the night, um, though like a bad detective show, as he was running off, he dropped a folder containing all of the notes that he and Mrs. Dyson had ever exchanged (laughs) over the course of their affair. It's like, oh, and here's the clue. No way. Yeah. And they're all just little things like, oh, he's ill, don't come around today, or fancy a drink later, and rubbish. 
Despite quick medical attention, Arthur Dyson died of his gunshot wounds over two hours later, though. And now, wanted for murder, Charles Peace went into hiding. So he disguised himself by shaving his beard. He used walnut oil to give himself a fake tan. And he put a tube over his arm where he had the missing fingers. And then in the top of the tube, put a hook. So he looked like he had... I think he was going for the pirate vibe yeah. with the weathered skin and the hook hand. Like this. I mean, w- once you realise what you've done, it'd be bloody easy to find him. I guess if you're not looking for a hook hand man. Exactly. Because yeah. he's got so many distinguishing features, he need he only had to go worse to disguise them. Is he still with his wife at this point? Up until this point, he'd been with Hannah Ward. And then when he goes to try and run for... Again, run away from this murder charge he leaves her okay because she's had a shit time of it as well oh yeah definitely and i think they also had a child various points but it's quite so then he um thieved his way around the country he went to bristol oxford derby nottingham just to name a few um nottingham he settled for a little bit longer he met a woman called susan thompson she was only 30 he was like in his 40s now and they lived as man and wife together until the police got on his trail and he had to escape out of a skylight when they came after him for a robbery. I don't know, they had skylights in the Victorian time. Well, just a window in the roof. Yeah. The attic room. Loft conversion. So he went to Lambeth in London now and this obviously connection with Susan Thompson was a serious one because he sent for her to come and join him. Inexplicably, he also sent for and was joined by his actual wife, Hannah... (laughs) And her son. And they all lived together. Whoa. Though not happily. Um, so the two women, Hannah and Susan, argued bitterly. And during one of their arguments, Hannah revealed to Susan that Charles was actually wanted for murder back in Sheffield. But they were, for some reason, they're still both really into this tiny little slack-jawed man. Um, so they swore themselves to secrecy. And the family all moved to Peckham. So uh, Hannah and her son stayed in like the basement rooms and Susan and Charles lived above, calling themselves now Mr. and Mrs. Thompson. So they put on a big front of respectability now. They attended church. They would have dinner parties. All three of them. Yep. Actually, that's not very respectable. Yeah, everyone was just like, oh, they've just got a larger. Yeah. They'd have people over. He'd play the violin for people. Um... But he continued to make a living from stealing and even the newspapers began to report that there was a thief on the loose because there were so many break-ins. 10th of October, 1878, police caught Charles Peace in the act as he fled via a dining room window and they gave chase. Peace had his gun with him again, so he fired it a few times at the pursuing PC Robinson and then the pair began a struggle, very similar story to with Arthur Dyson, And Peace fired again. This time it hit P.C. Robinson in the arm. So then um, the officer, he managed to grab the gun off Peace and give him a good beating with it before backup arrived. So Peace was arrested. He was charged with burglary and wounding with intent to murder. Peace, however, gave his name as John Ward. And when they asked his other personal information, he just told the police, "Mm, it's your job to find that out. So... They did. They tried some unorthodox methods. They put a disguised officer into the cell with him to see if he would Mm. tell them about his life. And he didn't. So Peace went to trial on the 19th of November, 1878, under the name John Ward. 
and he was found guilty of both charges and received a sentence of imprisonment for life. He was sent to Bentonville Prison, where he would be expected to serve the first nine months of his sentence in solitary. But police hadn't given up on finding his true identity. And there is a long story about how they did it. But basically, they followed where his letters were being sent while he was waiting for trial, went to those houses. They said, oh, well, Mrs. Thompson is sometimes come to visit, spoke to Susan Thompson, and they got her to crack. They said that they would charge her with receiving stolen goods if she didn't tell them who he really was and what was going on so eventually she gave in they then took this information that he was charles peace to the police in sheffield and they confirmed that yes he is wanted for murder so the 22nd of january 1879 peace was then going to be taken from london so that he could stand trial in sheffield for the murder of arthur dyson by this time, he was a little bit of a infamous celebrity. He'd already got like, he was going to be in the Chamber of Horrors at Madame Tussauds. Like there were huge crowds excited to see him. I mean, people loved a funny looking person in the Victorian age, didn't they? Yeah, and there was all his stories in the Penny Dreadful. He was big news. Um, so he was being taken on the really early morning train to try and avoid crowds from London up to Sheffield. And then as he began to recognise the Yorkshire landscape... He became really agitated and said that he needed a wee. So trains in the Victorian times weren't the luxurious things they are today. So they just pulled down the window to let him piss out the side. Um, But once the window was down, Peace took his chance and jumped out of the moving train only just being grabbed by the foot by one of the wardens. Whoa. So they managed to hold on to him and he was struggling and kicking and eventually he managed to get out of his shoe and fell headfirst onto the tracks. So by this point, they'd sort of managed to pull the emergency brake on the train to stop it and the officers ran back to find Peace bleeding and unconscious at the side of the tracks. He was suffering from quite a bad concussion, just vomiting all the time. So a few days later, when doctors thought him able, the hearing that was supposed to happen before the trial was brought to the corridor outside Peace's cell rather than delay the proceedings any further. And he was an absolute bastard. He was like slouching around, shouting out all the way through, being like, I'm cold, I need a jacket, I need a blanket. I'm too cold for this. Like being the worst kid at the back of the classroom. It's like, come on, let's do your work now. How do you expect me to do this? What do you want from me? Like just really being a dick the whole time. But despite all of that, the hearing was successful and the trial was scheduled to be at Leeds on the 4th of February, 1879. After hearing all of the testimony, the jury took 15 minutes to decide Peace was guilty, which is probably helped by all of the media frenzy surrounding him but before his execution like several criminals at the time um he was still quite god-fearing so he confessed all of his crimes to a vicar and he shocked everyone when he admitted to the murder of another man four months before he'd killed arthur dyson oh so he's already a shitty man anyway yep was that with a gun as well yeah so he'd been in manchester doing some thieving and burglaring burglaring as <laughs> usual and he'd been apprehended as he left a house by a police officer called nicholas cock and peace just shot him in the chest whoa 
However, there was a group of Irish brothers who lived around that area and they'd been like quite well respectable people. They just had got in trouble a few times for being drunk. And then a few times while they'd been drunk, they'd said things like, ah, fuck the police and stuff like that. So people said, I've heard them slagging off the police. And one of these brothers, William Habron, was falsely convicted for the crime. Um, And Peace had been to the trial and watched it from the public gallery. But following the confession, William Habron was released with a full pardon and a thousand pounds compensation, though not before his father had died of a broken heart from the whole affair. Is dad. I know. So Peace was eventually hanged on the 25th of February 1879, and he's worth having a look around for. Watch the movie, it's funny. <laughs> How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So, oh, okay. So, I'm going to tell you about Ian Patterson. Have you heard of him? No, I have not. 
It's quite a big case and I hadn't really heard of him and I'm actually really surprised. So quite a lot of the information that I've got, the first part is from www.ian-patterson.co.uk. Oh my gosh, he's got his own URL. But this I, is going to be big. These, I think it's made by some real Patterson supporters, so... <laughs> It, I'm not sure Supporters. how I'm not sure how unbiased it is because it makes him look like uh, it's going to start a very uh, glowing report of Patterson uh, but it's the only way I could find out about his early life and then a lot of the rest comes from news reports murderers with supporters either quite possibly innocent some controversy or super misogynistic and all the other incels get in on it like yeah he did the right thing he should have murdered those <laughs> ungrateful women yeah, a little bit of that. Yes, anyway. <laughs> so, Ian Patterson was born in Glasgow to a working class family. And his father was a bank clerk. Um, but he was also very aspirational, his father. So, he would go to night school. So, he studied engineering at night school. And once he received the uh, qualification, he got a job in Northern Ireland. So, the family moved to Northern Ireland. Now, his mother was also a really hardworking woman. And she worked two jobs to help save for Ian Patterson to be able to go to university. So I'm not sure if they had a daughter as well and just didn't give a shit about her, but he was definitely like the one they were, like that we're going to help him be academic. He's going to change, he's going to change his family's um, life. Oh, there's so much in the news lately about um, Theresa May's new reforms for higher education and me and tom had been we'd had an argument yesterday about nothing in particular just we've been getting at each other and then we made up because we were both getting really angry about Theresa may's supposed reforms uh-huh. and that's how we made friends again because we're like this is ridiculous <laughs> this is not a reform at all it's I still screwing us over oh, i bet she got free university education and then it's all fine <laughs> So he did end up going to university. He was the first in his family to go to university and he got into medical school at Bristol to study as a doctor. So at Bristol, alongside his studies, he was captain of the university's rugby team. Um, He won a lot of awards for his sporting achievements. And then after studying a medical degree, he decided to specialise in surgery. So he continued his studies in Manchester as well as continuing to play rugby. And he also began dating his future wife at this point as well. So I guess sort of like on paper perfect sperm donor type guy yeah he sounds like like he's doing everything he should be surgeon rugby player that's like the that's like the good kind of sportsman as well isn't it like rugby players a bit hench probably quite strong not super football dickhead yeah committing to a relationship he sounds like he's gonna he either sounds really nice or just posh but he's not because they had to save up a lot so he sounds so even better he's like a non-posh a non-posh dr rugby playing commitment man yeah is what we use the dream so while in manchester patterson suffered a sporting injury so he ended his career um in rugby at that point but then he obviously concentrated on his academic work so he applied for a research post at harvard medical school in boston oh the harvard and he got it so he moved his family to harvard Um, And he was part of groundbreaking research into lung complications after surgery. He published a hypothesis regarding the manipulation of blood vessels that may prevent the spreading of cancer. And it's actually part of the common treatment practice now. Shit, so he's kind of a big deal. Well, I mean, that this is from his website that made him look Uh... amazing as well. So luckily for this podcast... who did he kill? (laughs) I'm going to say, this all sounds really great. And then you realise, oh, fuck, he killed people. (laughs) This isn't like the surgeon 
like appreciation podcast. I'll stop making my account for ianpatterson.com. Plot twist that he didn't murder anyone. Um, <laughs> plot twist, I just really love this guy. So luckily for this podcast, Patterson decided to return to England. Uh, so he's a full-on UK true crime. Um, living in Manchester and then he moved to Birmingham in the early 1990s. Now, given his past experience, when he got the job in Birmingham... They all, he, he was a big deal. They thought this guy's great. So they gave him his own team. He was a lead clinician, meaning he had a team of people and the assessment and treatment of people with, and it like they opened this clinic and they called it breast disease, but they think they, they mean breast cancer. I don't know what, breast having had breasts for most of my life, I've never heard of anything specifically called breast disease. No. Uh, yeah, it was a weird turn of phrase. But like most of these women had... <laughs> Did he call it? Oh, it's a branch it. of women's problems. <laughs> <laughs> lady issues. Let's not go into it. Like people come in and they're just like, what lady issues are you having? Don't go into detail. Yeah. It's a breast disease. Tell me no more. Yeah. <laughs> so he also gave lectures for colleagues and students and he supervised the training of a lot of junior doctors as well. So he is like the whole shebang. So Patterson's patients... Um, reported like when when he saw them he was really decisive and he was really confident so he inspired absolute trust from his patients Uh, obviously they knew he was the lead clinician as well so you'd just believe what someone was telling you wouldn't you um and a lot of them said that he was really personable he seemed really nice and they just thought he seemed like a really good doctor however this is where I branch out from ianpatterson.com. Concerns had been raised about Patterson's work. So he ended up moving practice from one hospital to another because of an investigation was carried out into his practice and um, how he was performing some of his operations as well. And he actually got suspended from one trust, um, which meant he couldn't work for hospitals under them, I think, which is very doctor death very doctor death he just got passed on to another trust and set up um it was the heart of england nhs foundation trust he set up his own practice for breast disease for this trust so in 2003 an audit was carried out after fellow doctors had reported concerns that patterson was not removing enough breast tissue when he carried out mastectomies and obviously right. that's a real problem because if you have cancer in your breast tissue, if it's not all removed, then the cancer comes back. Mm. So during 2003 to 2010, Patterson abused his position. He carried out hundreds of unnecessary procedures and operations on people. What does he even gain from not taking out the whole boob? I, yeah, exactly. He's just there like, we'll get rid of the cancer, but don't worry, I'll leave you a little something to hold. I well, I well, he said he was leaving them cleavage. But I mean, obviously, why would he give a shit about that? So I think, I think the reason that he did any of this, and this is just, this is what it, it kind of says, but then it's sort of debated because he was earning a lot of money anyway. But um, he was doing, he was working for the NHS and he was doing private patients as well, which I think a lot of surgeons do. They do a bit of both. And obviously if he, if he wants a lot of patients, then if patients come back. So if you go to him on the NHS, he'll take out half your boob. If you want the full boob, you've got to come private. <laughs> like when quite. the cancer comes back, he's like... You'll have to come down to my private facilities. Like that's what it's at. I think it was more that he was doing a duff job so that he would have to do another surgery later. Yeah. I guess. Like he was 
yeah I'm not I'm not 100% on how that works for him but I know that he was making a lot of money out of having a lot of patients so um he carried out invasive breast surgery on one woman who should have received a biopsy she had a lump um and she like never had cancer and this was a common theme um he had he did lumpectomies which I think is where they remove a lump rather than the whole breast mm. which I like I think is a very non-scientific way of saying it, a lumpectomy but yeah. fine and lymph node uh, removals and he falsely told um patients that these procedures were necessary and they just believed him oh so someone's gone with a lump and he's like yeah cancer take off the whole thing yeah straight away 100% so like one patient Debbie Douglas was diagnosed with breast cancer by Patterson in 2003 he told her she needed an operation followed by reconstructive surgery that's multiple surgeries and she never had breast cancer and obviously she now she's got scars for life um patterson would often like he it would be something minor or a concern or a lump and he'd go for the most expensive surgery i wonder how she found out that she never had cancer because of the they called all the patients back when it started Uh. kicking off so he um he was increasing his profits essentially by doing these unnecessary um, expensive surgeries where he would obviously get paid for as well. Like he'd get a proportion and as well as costing the NHS millions of unnecessary money as well, giving people chemo um, that they didn't need. So patients believed he was really nice. He was informative and there were no complaints. Uh, Beryl was told she had cancer. She had one whole breast removed. Um, She uh, then needed further operations because of complications from her surgery that he'd done, not not done well. Uh, she never had breast cancer. Uh, but, I mean, the more significant part of this is, rather than it being cosmetic and unfortunate for people and obviously painful and unnecessary, but of the tw- 1,207 patients that Patterson performed mastectomies on, 709 have now died. <sighs> that is a massive proportion. Now, oh. obviously, not all of them we can definitely say because it's a direct correlation yeah but because people who have cancer sometimes get cancer again but that that was why this started being called into account because so many were having cancer again that shouldn't like compared to other hospitals in the country so many of them had cancer return because there was breast tissue left behind because he said for cosmetic um reasons and living patients of Patterson have had their breast tissue checked and 50% of the women who had mastectomies from him showed an incomplete operation. So he was doing it half the time. Can you so imagine how like, you would feel? Like that must leave you feeling so violated and so... Oh, yeah. Can you imagine looking at yourself and realising, God, not only are they gone, but this is an incomplete botched surgery. Yeah. That's so... Terrible doctor. Doctor Death was kind of a little bit more like, oh my god, he left like instruments in them. Yeah, but But this this is is sort of the same thing, isn't it? Like because if he's that clever, he's knowingly doing it wrong. That's the difference. Like with the Doctor Death thing, I think part of the conclusion was that he was out of his fucking mind and was thinking he knew what was right. Whereas this guy must know how to do it correctly, absolutely maliciously. And like telling women, like he knew they didn't have cancer. Telling, bare face telling women, you have got cancer. I'll tell you a few more examples in a sec. So to cope with waiting lists because of how many people he He was was like, oh, you're cured, you're cured, done. Well, how many people he was telling had cancer? The waiting list was massive, massive, massive. So then he'd perform two hour operations in 25 minutes. He'd just (gasps) speed them through. Like, yeah, yeah, done, off you go. 
Um, so many patients uh, were given chemotherapy. They didn't have cancer. So the problem with people doing a bad job where cancer is concerned is it takes so much time to show a problem because they weren't reporting him as a bad doctor because they didn't know yeah, what yeah. was going on in their body. No one was checking on him. His bosses were like, yeah, he's making us millions of pounds. Fine, leave Yeah, because if the doctor tells you, look, we're going to cut out all of the cancer and then we'll leave you a little bit of breast tissue so you still look like yourself. Yeah, how would you'd you be know? like that sounds brilliant that Fine. sounds best case scenario thank you very much yeah you trust him you you just do don't you you'd just assume that was common practice which it wasn't at all so um it wasn't until 2011 and like he started doing these botched operations 2003 that is years um and the hospital showed much greater rates of cancer returning after mastectomies and they started thinking this is really dodgy so it took all that time for them to really check in and go, oh, actually, there's a lot of people coming back, which isn't happening elsewhere. So in 2009, when they started looking into it, they only called out, they called back 12 high-risk patients to look at out of 4,424 patients that he'd seen in that time. And it wasn't until 2011 that Patterson was even suspended and he was suspended on full pay, which was up to 300,000 a year he was making. But this is after he's already been banned from that other trust isn't it yeah so he'd been banned from the other trust but he was working for this trust all the way up to 2011 before he got suspended on full pay so when his actions became clear patients began to sue so word got around uh, legal teams were contacting patients asking them about their experiences so there were over 800 claims made against patterson one of those was sarah downing she received a lumpectomy for a lump she'd had because he told her she had cancer and she speaks quite like it's interesting looking at the videos of some of the patients she said to him i really want to have a biopsy and he said no 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 there's no time it's spreading quick and he was like we need to operate straight away um and obviously she that panicked her she believed him she never had cancer and he didn't even get the lump out he left the lump and took out some healthy breast tissue near it so she's still got a lump, but it's not cancerous. Um, but he told her that it just needed to come out straight away. There was Jill Dallow. She was given surgery by Patterson in 1996. So before any of this even happened. And he was doing a low risk procedure, but he cut through way too much and tore a hole in her artery. Oh my And she God. almost died. And it's only because staff in the operating theatre next door came in and like literally hand pumped her heart with their hand to keep her alive. And she believes Patterson would have just let her die. And he blamed faulty equipment and told her that he'd saved her life after the, after the operation. Yes, it's horrendous really the more you tell me the more i'm like geez how on earth has he got supporters yeah just because of the sheer amount of numbers doctors are always really tricky because the first few you're like look some people are gonna die and you can't blame doctors for everything because they're trying to help and people will they won't always save everyone but those statistics are just too big and the story of like you say people that didn't even have cancer yeah that's also really surprising because you'd think that there'd be other people that were diagnosed before it got to him but whatever yeah yeah crazy you can't justify what he's doing as you win some you lose some yeah i mean maybe this Maybe this website was made a few years ago before this trial even happened anyway. So um, Carol Johnson, she described Patterson as playing God. She spoke on um, 
I think it was like this morning she was on, she was interviewed. Um, she spoke up for him when the rumours started circulating. She believed that he was an excellent surgeon. She had seven surgeries. There was no paperwork for one of them. So on record, she's only had six. And she didn't know the extent of it. She just thought he was a good doctor. There was Jade Edgington, who was a 16-year-old who'd gone to see um patterson about a lump and he told her it wasn't cancerous but needed to be removed so she had three operations she's got scars three operations and it didn't even like um she was given like later advice on what was the appropriate reaction and it would have just been leave it just like keep an eye on keep it. an eye on it yeah like do nothing in 2012, over 550 patients had their cases reviewed. Um, at the time, Patterson was living in a £1.25 million Georgian house. And also, he'd like, he was going on really expensive holidays. He was never even given the indignity of an arrest. All they did was simply give a postal uh, requisition to attend court. So they never even like humiliated him by arresting him. It was, it was so sort of low-key. So until 2012, he'd also been uh, receiving financial help to cover his legal costs of defence from the NHS because that, that's something they automatically do for doctors. Yeah. So I guess, like, obviously he didn't yeah, need it. Yeah, because they just have to do it for all doctors. You can't be like, well, actually, we think you're guilty, so we're not yeah. going to. So that was from the Medical Defence Union. So they, they had stopped paying for it in 2012. Um, in November 2014, he was diagnosed with psychiatric problems, um but there's no specifics on that i guess probably he was depressed because everyone hated him and like was suing him and taking his money um so he was charged in 2016 at birmingham magistrates court but i think that was later upgraded to nottingham crown court Mm. because obviously it's a big legal case but he was only charged with 21 counts of wounding with intent to cause harm of 11 people so no manslaughter charge no murder charges what was the guy who purposely gave people HIV? What was he charged with? Uh, I think it was intent to cause... Was that like grievous bodily harm yeah. or something? You'd think it would be a similar... Yeah. Because he's almost like, I'm giving you cancer to come back or something. Yeah, so. well, I guess it's really hard to prove that anyone who died after his operation did so as a result of him leaving the breast tissue. Because yeah. anyone could have got cancer anyway, but it's really difficult to say it's definitely because of this. But it's it's with the numbers being so much higher, it has to be. On the fourth day, he a witness spoke out against him and he audibly called her a lying bitch, which didn't help either. Yeah. Um so it wasn't till two thousand Yeah. It wasn't until two thousand and seventeen that he was convicted of seventeen counts of wounding with t- wounding with intent. And he received a 15-year sentence in prison, which is incredibly low. Yeah. And um, it was actually upgraded to 20 years due to the outrage over the length of his sentence. But I mean, if he's well-behaved in prison, he could be out in 10, really, couldn't he? £27 million also was put in a fund for compensation for victims. And that seems to come from Spire Healthcare, which is a private company with 39 hospitals. Because I was a bit like, well, that's going to be taxpayers' money anyway. But I think it is from the private healthcare side, Mm. which I thought was more reasonable. But yeah, like he... I mean, anyone... That's awful. If you had the intent, you could do a full six-part podcast, I think. And like, 
interview victims and because they're still out there really get to the bottom of what actually happened in a lot of details not what we do but i'm just putting it out there if anyone yes yeah, so we'd love to hear what someone who's <laughs> willing to, to put it. the hours in yeah <laughs> uh yeah so like that i think that's quite an extreme story and it's not been covered in any of the podcasts that i looked at and he sort of slipped under the radar in the tree crime world i think so um yeah like a real life horrible horrible abusive man well that's the end of this episode thank you for tuning in and (laughs) live on your radio live from your ear holes um yeah thanks for listening uh thanks for all of you that have taken the time to join the facebook group um just search for slaughter those of you that tweet us at slaughter the pod those of you that email us things where the fuck are you no. <laughs> there are a few of you yeah thank you for people who give money to us on patreon.com we've put out um, a little extra doodah for you this month um and luke we... is still working on the first episode of his podcast oh, well part two. Oh yeah it's part two oh. we had part one i forgot about that um yeah that'll come eventually i'll talk my mum into doing another one as well there's people on literal tender not literal <laughs> figurative tender hooks uh really yeah but we really it. appreciate your support it really yeah. does make a difference um thank you so much and uh have a lovely weekend Bye. Bye. selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.